Yeehaw, hello, howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast. I am joined once again by Tim, and I'm sure everybody knows him from his excellent website, 7 a.m. Kickoff. Welcome, Tim. How's the international break treating you? Have you watched any of these uh, kind of dull games at all? I have not. No? Me neither. I watched. I actually watched a tiny bit of the England game today, uh, but I really, really just still cannot bring myself to watch um, like these qualifying or friendly type ones. Like there's just there's just not stakes for me. Yeah, don't don't spoil it for me because I can only watch the England Scotland game at six p.m. Okay, and that's because I switched out my my internet provider or my not my internet provider but my uh <clears throat> my football tv provider yeah. from fubo to sling tv and apparently okay. they, don't, they don't carry fox soccer too so so i'm gonna yeah. watch it here in about well about 45 minutes there we go it's a it was a decent game yeah it'll be it'll be fun so i i'm not no spoilers or anything like that it's a for all for all things considered for an, a friendly it was a pretty good one um, there has been, yeah, you know, I guess there was a couple of decent performances. Uh, Odegaard scored a goal. Uh, Kai Havertz got an assist against France. So some, some decent stuff from the the Arsenal guys that are out there overall doing it. But it's still really hard for me to to care too much about the the international football or try to like draw too many conclusions. Um, so instead, I'm going to force you to draw conclusions from uh, way too many or way too few of goals scored. Um, so I know when we last talked after, you know, the, the transfer window was still open, no games have been played. Um, so now I'm going to try to draw <laughs> us both into making too big of conclusions to a month of games um, and to be able to, to kind of see where our opinions have changed um, on things. So um, I think a good spot is to, to kind of start with Arsenal. So Arsenal did not make any new signings since we last talked, but we've had a, a couple of outgoings. Have any uh you know, concerns about the players that left or uh, to me, it, it seems like it's uh, exactly what we expected. Well, it was all expected. So I don't have any, you know, frustrations with what happened other than maybe uh, Balogun, who I think could have helped this team this year. I think he's a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. And I, <clears throat> I don't just say that because I'm an American <laughs> um, and he plays for the U S men's national team now, but, uh, but, you know, having watched him last season and I know he, he doesn't always finish all of his chances, but um, I, 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 I really think that, 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 <clears throat> that that transfer is going to hurt us in the long run. Well, it's not going to hurt us, but it's not going to be, it wasn't the best idea to, to, to sell him off, but yeah, the, the club did capture a little bit of that future upside, right? So there's like, if, yeah. uh, I think there's the add-ons and there's the sell-on fee. So yeah. it's if, if things go really good, Arsenal can at least capture some of it. Um, I, I, I always just wondered like where the minutes would have come from. I guess it would have been yeah. a really interesting thing to see how he and Eddie would have uh, competed for the spot, right? Yeah, and, and I know that um, Declan Rice really loves Nakecha and... Uh, I I'm 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 a fan as well, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it's just I don't know. We have we have so many players in the forward areas who get hurt so often that it just it, it's really difficult. It's really difficult because how do you keep a guy who might not get a m- many minutes who really deserves a lot of minutes? So yeah. 
I get it. I get it. It, it was probably the right choice for everybody, but it still feels like a disappointment on my, on my end. I really wish he would have stayed with Arsenal. Yeah. We went from three Americans on Arsenal to zero in the, <laughs> the space of like a month. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, we had a uh, trusty leave. We had yeah. Turner leave and Balogun all leave. Yeah. So uh, Arsenal is not very American anymore. None. <laughs> At least we, we still have the American owners, though. Yeah, th- those guys are will, will never leave, right? That's true. So, yeah, so um, Pepe also uh, went to that was uh, good Turkey. Move. I mean, yeah. all all around, I think um, he just never. I was really, I was, I was, I was actually a big Pepe supporter before we signed him. Mm-hmm. I thought that that he had the the all of the the different characteristics that I thought we would need from a forward. His dead ball delivery was amazing. It still is amazing. There's nothing wrong with a lot of the things except for that. He never developed having, you know, more than one foot. And so literally you could hear opposing coaches just saying, show him down the line, show him down the line. And, and they would, and the defenders would, and he couldn't do anything. So, it was super frustrating to watch him just not be able to develop and not be able to um, take on any new instruction or um, learn how Arsenal wanted to play. And so, you know, I, I watched him a little bit in the French league last year and he just. He looks kind of like it, a shadow of his former self. Like, he, I, like everything yeah. like had kind of been like sapped out of him. And it, it, it's really sad to see yeah. those kinds of things happen to a player, especially ones that were like that exciting. It happens. It happens though, you know, like guys get paid a load of money and um, yeah, they just, they just, that's it. They're done. And you know, fair play to him. He put in the work. He's, he's, he, I guess he's deserves the money he's getting, but, um, but yeah, just never worked out for Arsenal. Yeah. Let's see what else uh, did we have go out on the, those final kind of days. Oh yeah. Kieran Tierney to a uh, real Sociedad. That's cool. Actually, that's really cool. I love I love that he's there um, playing with um, Hector Bellerin, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, or is he at uh, Batiste? Oh, he's at Batiste. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yes. Sorry. But he's uh, he's out there in Spain. I, I really love when English players expand their... Or expand uh, their British, British players. Excuse me. You're right. He was born on the Isle of Manx. Uh, uh, of the Isle of Man, so he's Manx, actually. But... But yeah, British players go out and uh, play in um, in Europe. I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I really can't wait to look can't wait to watch the uh, the England Scotland game today because I really want to watch him play. I love watching yeah. him play. No, it, uh, it's I think it's going to be a good overall win win move for everybody um, because it would have been again. It's it's I don't like to see good players to sit on the bench or not get opportunities yeah. and stuff like that. So um, I think this is a, a good one. I understand why Sociedad couldn't necessarily make this a, a permanent deal. Cause I think that really they can only afford to kind of have him because they have the champions league money this year. And, right. you know, being at that level of where they are in La Liga 
it's not guaranteed that they're uh, going to be able to get back to the Champions League again next year. Um, but it, it is one of those things like maybe if things work out right, like maybe Sociedad could be a good landing point for him, or at least it'd be a, a chance for him to hopefully get back some of his form and be able to do that. I just really want him to have another like healthy year and to, you know, kind of get back into just playing, you know, 30, 40 matches again and just see what he was able to do again. I think I took a look at their squad and I'm not sure he's going to get all those games that you think he's going to get. Uh I, I I mean I'm with you, but um, I'd love to see it. So I think there's some players. Who, uh, I think there's a a left back who's in front of him who played like 36, 38 games last season. I can't remember his name. So mm, okay, but we'll see. We'll see. I hope I hope he gets some playing time. But yeah, um, Champions League football. If he gets it, fantastic. Um, yeah. Again, you know he's I, I yeah I really love Kieran Tierney. Kieran So. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the big outgoings, I guess. Yeah. Rob holding to, to crystal palace. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's fine. Yeah. Another guy I, I adore. So that's fine. I mean, I, I like these players. He's like an honorary American too. Right. So like, that's almost <laughs> like four Americans hey, now that are out. He, he loves the NFL. That's, that's right. Doesn't he? Yeah. He loves watching yeah. the NFL. I, I yep. don't watch NFL who has six, six hours to watch a, a match. I don't have six hours to watch a match. I, I was making I was making this point the other day when like somebody was asking if I watch NFL and I was like no it's on too late in the day for me and they're like isn't it on during the middle of the day and I was like exactly it's on too late in the middle of the day because you know I have a life and I like to do things um so like that's why like Premier League is like absolutely perfect for me uh, I wake up early and then even like you know sometimes there's the the later yeah. matches so we're, we're both on pacific time zone so like sometimes we'll get that you know like the nine o'clock or like i think it's the the nine o'clock is the later one so like you're done by like 11 and it's like right. all right like that's like the, the rest of the family is finally like up about that time and then it's like all right we, we still have the rest of the day to go do stuff but nfl like like all right you got a, a 10 you got a 10 o'clock and you got a 130 and then you got a 530 and it's like what am I going to do on a Sunday? I'd like to to go do things. I can always tell when there's an early Seahawks game because you've got people drunk driving at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy around here that uh, Seahawks fans are are nuts around here. But yeah, so yeah, I don't watch it. I don't watch NFL. It's just I played. I played football. I played American football when I was a kid. Don't don't enjoy it anymore. Yeah, I mean, if I, I'll I'll turn it on from time to time, but I definitely do not build my uh, my life around it anymore. I kind of did when I was younger because, like, that's just you know sure. what you did kind of growing up in America. But you know, now I, I I don't do that so much anymore. Yep. All right. Um, first four games, so Arsenal three wins and a draw. Right. Pretty good. Um, what are what are your kind of your thoughts um, on on how the performances have gone so far? Like to me, like I, just to, to throw for me to throw it out there, it's kind of like met my expectations. I think for what I thought with how the team was going to go. Right. Well, I mean, first off, we're only allowing one goal a game. We're scoring two goals a game. Awesome, right? Yep. In theory, <laughs> um, we're you know tied for second, depending on how you want to count it whatever, 10 points, all the second place teams have 10 points. So awesome. Those are great. Um, I do think that there's a little bit of a problem with the forwards and with, with scoring goals at the moment. 
And um, we did have one game um, where we had a red card. And then didn't we have a game also the opponent had a red card? Yeah, the, the Fulham match. Yeah, so so we've had a couple little bit of a in, t- in four games. We're talking about stats for four games. We're looking at two games with major goal with major um, uh, effects to the stats. It's just, just mm-hmm. like I mean, we really need to kind of just like take a break, step back from it, and go. Okay, it's four games. Half of them have been, you know, a player down on one side or the other. Um, and there was also a match that there was a, a first minute goal, which will absolutely throw things off uh, stats wise. Right. Okay. Yes. So there's that too. So, I mean, well, which we shouldn't have conceded, but, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I approached, I've approached this season the way that I approach a lot of seasons with Arsenal recently, which is to say I curb my expectations so I don't think that we're going to be a title challenger, although technically we are right now. So great. Um, but I don't expect us to be a title challenger. In other words, I don't, I don't put that expectation on the team. And that way I don't have any disappointment if we don't win every game. Currently, Manchester City, what? They've won every game? Great. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're supposed to do. So, um, right. It's a surprise when they don't win. Right. Literally. So, um, it's, yeah, we're in that situation. We're in a situation where a team has built up basically a huge reservoir of fantastic players over the years. They're able to bench guys who would start on any other team in the league, um, and let them grow for a year. And what we're finding with Arsenal this year is that, um, like Kai Havertz, for example, uh, Arteta doesn't have the luxury of saying, okay, it's going to take a year for Havertz to develop. We need to put him in right away. And so we get this like situation where fans are really upset mm-hmm. if Havertz isn't you know, doing Shaka stuff on day one. Um, he and, and he isn't. So... Fair enough. They can be upset. That's what they want to do. But my expectations are it's going to take a year for Kai Havertz to actually develop into the player that Granit Xhaka developed into. And I would just go a step further and say, go back three years and look at Granit Xhaka's development into that, um, you know, box attacking number eight or whatever you want to call it. That took that took him three years. It wasn't like it wasn't an overnight thing. It was a it was a gradual development that that Arteta that Arteta gave him, and and he eventually developed into that player. I, I think Havertz maybe a little bit different. I know that a lot of people are frustrated, but again, I'm not I'm not frustrated at all because this is just it's just going to take time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I think he's a great player. I think he's Got all the skill set necessary to do what Arteta wants to do, but uh, but it's going to take a year, and I don't think a lot of people are willing to wait a year for that to happen. So we've talked about this in the first time I appeared on the podcast this year. Um, my expectations are definitely just top four this year. 
I don't think that we're title challengers. If we do make a title challenge, it will be fucking fantastic. Excuse my language. Yeah, I think it. I think it takes like all the breaks going Arsenal's way yes. again. Right? I think that's just. I think that's going to be the the reality with any team going up against Manchester City. Yes, in the Invincibles documentary, Arsene Wenger talked about that. Like it's literally just these minute breaks that go your way. That's that's the difference. And I know that I know that there's a you know, an old saying that 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 you know your practice helps give you those breaks and you know developing yourself helps give you those breaks, but I mean we can't expect that. And that's mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. I'm not in the expectation phase. Maybe next year I might be a little bit more expectant, but this year I'm not. I, I just expect us to finish top four, and that's where I'm at. Yeah. So I, I think my Kai position right now is that he's played fine. Um, I think he's, you know, there's been a couple of like very high profile moments that I think have really stuck in people's mind. Yeah. You know, there's the the wall pass when he had space and like yeah. people like lost their shit over it. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the miss that he had um, the other day uh, really, I think, hurt people's uh, thoughts on what could have happened. Um, and it just, it feels like, those kind of little things are really being weighed against him. He doesn't have a lot of credit in the bank with fans right now. Um, But I think overall, like when I, when I kind of look back at what I expected coming in, I think that his defense has been better than I expected. Um, I I thought that there was a potential that he might be at best, like a traffic cone in midfield. And I think that he has kind of held his own and done a, a, you know, a reasonably good job of making sure the midfield doesn't get overrun because that has not been, I think something that we've really seen at all, um, you know, this season, right. Even against Manchester United, who I thought would be like the, the strongest midfield that we've come up so far. I think the Arsenal midfield absolutely bossed them and controlled that game and did that. Yeah. And I think Kai Havertz's defense has been a, a very positive uh, kind of thing for my general expectation. The other thing that I had coming, coming into him is that he's like always like even going back to his time in Germany, been a guy that has just like a knack for finding space and being able to pop up into spots in the box where he has good shooting locations. And that has absolutely been something that's happened here. Um, a lot of times like the, you know, his teammates haven't found the pass for him yet, or, you know, understand like that some of the stuff is just slightly off where they're not on the same wavelength. And I think that goes into your thing, like where it's like, you got to give him time to get like used yeah. to his teammates and his teammates getting used to him. But yep. I think it's encouraging, like, you know, that's still happening for him. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't have like massive expectations on his passing. Like, I think that's something that I, I actually had a little bit of worry that, you know, that's something that we were going to miss from Granite Jacka, who I think fans like maybe they didn't underrate it. But Granite Jacka is like maybe like one of the best passers we've seen, like in the Premier League in the last like five yeah. years. Like, I would certainly put him up there against most teams or most players. And I, I think he would easily be in that top 10. Like he was a legit great passer. And taking that out of the team, I worried how that would be replaced. And, you know, I don't think uh, Havertz has been good at passing, but I think that the rest of the team has been strong enough to kind of pick up some of that slack that we've had, right? You know, I think we we saw that we had, you know, some really good passing behind him. We had Saliba. I think Ben White's passing has been very good. I think Gabriel um, Magalhaes, um passing has been underrated. And I think all of those guys starting to pick up, you know, we saw Zinchenko come back into the team, 
uh, last weekend, and I think he is uh, just still a rele- revelation at being able to to pass and be able yeah. to do those things. So I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. So it's like there's one thing that's been really good, um, and then everything else has been, I guess, kind of like to where I expected it to be. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you've hit just so many things there. Um, the one thing that I think I was a little bit disappointed with was once the left side. Where we got Gabriel and Zinchenko back, mm-hmm. I expected a little bit more from Kai in mm-hmm. that game, so I was a little disappointed. But that again was just my expectations, and so I always take that as like, okay, that's just me being weird. <laughs> um, uh, I know Arteta defends him to the wall. I also was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, I really like to see Vieira get a start on that left side, but then. You know, Vieira's been so good off the bench. I, it's such it's such a weird thing. It's like remember when Giroud was so good coming off the bench. Do you want to start the guy, or do you want to do you want him to come off the bench? You know, do you want him to be the sixth man, as we say in basketball, uh, or the twelfth man in in football? So I just, I just, I, I'm just having a, I'm just having like a, I'm very indecisive about that right now, and um, but I. Kind of half of me thinks that Vieira deserves a chance to start and half of me thinks, but then you have Kai Havertz coming off the bench. So which one's the better choice off the bench? And I, I, I think I'm going to land on Vieira coming off the bench right now, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks for him because he's been so good in his appearances. But at the same time, um, we need that impact. You know, we've needed him coming off the bench and having that impact. And he's been really great coming off the bench and having that impact. He's so he's actually really surprised me. And again, I'll go back to the thing I said before, which is it took him, you know, a year and a half to like really develop and, and find his rhythm in this team. And you've got to give Kai Havertz that amount of time. And I know he costs 75 million, whatever, take that money, take that price tag and put it to the side and just say, we've got a great player. How do we get him into, into the team? It's going to take some time. Yeah. Well, and you, and you also kind of think in the, the current transfer inflation, 75 is, isn't that much um, when, when you see some it's of the, the fees. Crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of the fees that have uh, floated around um, with uh, the other players, like he, he's not even close to like the, the most expensive player that's moved in the Premier League this season. Uh, he's not even the most expensive player that Arsenal have bought this season. So like, I think that's one of the things that, it still uh, boggles my mind with some of the transfer yeah. fees and all those kinds of things. I, I think that, you know, we also have what the next six weeks, there's two matches a week. So I think we're going to start seeing, yeah. or at least I, I hope we start seeing some times where we can start using more of the squad. There's, there are, you know, a number of players that I think that yes. look like they should be able to, to start getting some, some more game time. I think Vieira is probably top of that list, but we also haven't seen Smith Rowe, Yet this yep. season, um, I think that, you know, Jesus is coming back from injury. And I think Eddie Nketiah, you know, has earned himself more playing time with his performances, being able to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised to to see him still getting moments in the, the League Cup or maybe, you know, off the, you know, some bench minutes off of the Champions League. Uh, we haven't really seen a, a lot of uh, prolonged minutes for Reese Nelson either. So there's a, a number of players that I think are deserving of more time and i think that it'll be really interesting to see 
how Arteta is able to to handle the Champions League because that's something that he hasn't done yet. And I think the the Europa League is kind of like the Champions League, but you can do a lot more rotation. So it'll be interesting to kind of see his strategy for how he goes game to game there. Well, it's funny. Um, we're in the Champions League, but we brought all of our Europa League friends with us. That's so exactly got, right. Yeah, we've got PSV. You know, we've got <laughs> these teams that 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 were in the Europa League last year, and they're they're going to come play with us. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it. This is exactly what I was talking about in the first the first time we talked, where I think that what Arteta intentionally did, and what Arteta and Adu and the and the club intentionally did, was purchase players that allow them to be flexible that allow Arteta to play defensive if he needs to, that allow Arteta to play a big man up front. That's what Kai Havertz was bought for, I think, Mm -hmm. in a way. He was bought to play both the eight and also to play a target man. Um, So we're going to have options. And now that can be good and it can be bad. It can be good in the sense that we've always won a plan B, but it can be bad in the sense that it gives us too much to think about. So what I'm hoping for is that is that Arteta, I, I, I'm not hoping. I'm pretty sure that he has a game plan for all of this. I know that they that coaches nowadays map out all the games that they're going to play. They know exactly how they're going to do everything, and they train along the way in order to hit those targets. So I think he's going to. I, I'm very I'm very high on our chances in the in the Champions League. I know you you've heard me say that before. I'm going to say it again. I'm very high on our chances in the Champions League because I know that Arteta is by at heart a defensive coach. He loves defense first, and I think he's going to try to hit some of these teams with a bit of a mix-up that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna send them for a little bit of a loop. Um, and I don't know if we're ready to talk about it, but I, I do think that the the upcoming Champions League games are gonna be kind of eye-opening for a lot of fans in terms of the way that we play and the way that we approach those games. Yeah. No, and I think that, so I was talking with uh, Clive, um, you know, so Clive PFC earlier today, and he was asking me like what I was like, uh, you know, most happy with, I think for the start of our season. And I brought in that I felt like our control of matches was yes. the thing that I was really, really pleased to see. And it's not just the control within you know, holding onto the ball or being able to do those kinds of things. Um, but also just our control of the spaces and where we want the game to be played. I think that has been absolutely um, top notch and exceptional, a big step forward from what we were able to see last season. So even without the ball, I feel like Arsenal's low and mid block has been very good at pushing play, you know, the other team into less dangerous opportunities and I think that's something that has absolutely improved so far this season. Have you seen something similar to that? No, actually, you mentioning it is uh, is a little bit of a revelation because I hadn't thought about it. Um, but that would be exactly the kind of thing that Arteta would want to control. He wants to control space. He wants to control the time. He wants to control, you know, there are three things that you can control, the time, the space, and the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to pick his times when he can do each of those things. And it's a little bit frustrating, I think, for some fans because we're used to like, I don't know, one way of playing or, but, but Arteta, 
I, I, I mean, he, he has such a great footballing mind. I think he's just trying to pick those spaces, those times for each of those things to do. It can be a little bit frustrating because it does mean sometimes we're doing things that maybe you think are counterintuitive, but, um, but I do think that he is, he's, he's trying to hit those three things and that, and that we saw that in at least a couple of the games uh, in the cup in, in, in two of the, the four games where, you know, he was ecstatic by our low block defense, which seems so and that and antithetical <laughs> to the way that we want to play, but it means that he's drilling those dudes in playing that, that style. And it means that he saw them do exactly what he wanted to do. And that to me shows somebody who is going to be able to try to deploy that uh, or who's not going to be able to try to deploy it. Who's going to be able to deploy that when needed in uh, cup games, like the champions league, FA cup league cup, etc. Yeah. So like, it's, it's one of those things it's uh, best to not deploy those things for the first time when the stakes are at their highest. Right. Right. Exactly. So Wenger didn't ever, I, I love Arsene Wenger, but Arsene Wenger never really wanted to play that way. In fact, after the, after the 2005 FA cup final, he basically said, I'm never going to play that way again. And <laughs> I think that kind of actually hurt him quite a bit in terms of, in terms of his, his ability to deploy different, different uh, schemes. And, you know, we saw teams like we saw basic stuff like Jose Mourinho played the most basic football against us and was able to shred us because Arsene Wenger just refused to, to play a different way. And I think Arteta also experienced a lot of that under, Mm -hmm. under Arsene Wenger and said, we're not going to do that. And so that's, that actually is why I'm so excited and why I have a, I have such a high, uh, so much optimism for our, for our champions league this season. Yeah, and I think that is um, interesting too, right? It's thinking about the the different ways that you have to do because you know you think about Arsene Wenger, that was perfect for what like three quarters of the games that you'd play in the Premier League. It right. was the you know the when you went up against the other like four to five top teams, that's the only time it didn't work. And I think that is really kind of you know what kind of limited Arsenal so often to being, you know, a third place or a fourth place team. Um, it was those big moments that kind of were able to do it. Um, you know, not to mention that, you know, uh, for the longest time, you know, the weakness, the, the serial weakness of Arsenal was right. that we had, you know, 12 players that were usually like, you know, very good. I always felt like if everybody was healthy at Arsenal, that's right. a team that could go up against anybody. But as soon as, you know, you started losing two or three guys, that's when the levels really dropped. And I think that was something that, you know, we saw with Arsenal last year too. So I think that there's a, a couple key learnings that I think Arteta is starting to pick up from his time, you know, I think uh, with Arsenal um, and just, you know, being able to be around the game where absolutely. starting to pick up these little bits of moments that it's the big games that, that absolutely matter um, when you're, especially when the margins, um, when you're trying to chase the team like Manchester City, uh, that's uh, something that is uh, you can't do it. Or if you are going in, you know, these uh, high stakes knockout type tournaments, being able to do that. So that's a, a really interesting thought that you threw into my head. And I think you're, you're spot on with it. Well, hopefully we'll see. <laughs> but, but if you go back to Arteta's first, um, first couple seasons with Arsenal, the first couple things that he did was actually get us to play low and mid block defense and just really simplified everybody's game. 
He simplified Shaka's game. He simplified everything and got us playing basics again. And it, I'm going to be just honest. It frustrated the shit out of me, mm-hmm. but I can now two and a half years, three years later, I can see why he did it. And it, it created a foundation that I hope that he's going to be able to build on this season. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to ha- hold my hand up and say, you know, while I was frustrated and probably rightly frustrated, maybe I was a little bit wrongly frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I wanted to also kind of like have a, a check in on, you know, some of the other top teams and just kind of get a sense of like where we think, you know, our, our opinions might have changed. Um, so major city are probably the, I think everybody's consensus. Number one, um, when you are able to, to cheat with yep. impunity, you're, you're going to be able to, to stick there. Um, I had them started as number one. I still think they're the number one team. I haven't seen any massive red flags, um, or changes, I think in my thoughts on them, uh, has your opinion of Manchester city changed at all? Nope. Nope. No, no, no. I mean, hundred, they have 115 charges. That's all. That's and that, that that opinion hasn't changed. They 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 have cheated their way to where they are at, and uh, you know they're probably going to keep cheating. They're going to find different ways. I think um, PSG just sold sold some player to some Qatari team, so I, I have a feeling we're going to see some of that kind of nonsense happening pretty soon with with them. You know, they'll, yeah, they'll does, does Abu Dhabi have a a football league? They probably do, and I'm sure they'll sell. You know if they need 50 million pounds to put on the books legitimately quote unquote scare quotes, mm-hmm. then they'll, they'll find a way to put 50 million pounds on the, on the books legitimately. It's just, yeah. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, they're, they're who they are. So we just have to, again, I, I adjust my expectations accordingly. So, you know, if Arsenal finish top four and have a good run in any of the cup, any of the cups that we're in and win any of the cups that we're in, then I think we've had a good season. And if we challenge Manchester city, like we did last season, then I think we've had a great season. That's, that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. My, my outlandish uh, thing that I've, uh, maybe I haven't said into the, the ether yet is that I wouldn't be surprised if Manchester city take a real legitimate run at going invincible. I would, it just absolutely would not surprise me at all. Like if they went for it, like I, I think they, they went for the trouble last year, they got that. And now I think it's like, all right, now we're just going to, you know, go for the other like thing that we have left done. So it's like, we're just going to be like, we'll, we'll have the, the highest ever points total. We'll have won a trouble. And that's the only thing that's kind of like missing from their mantle of what they're able to do. I, I think I'm not saying they're going to do it, but I think that that is uh, potentially something that they have their eyes set on now to, to try just, to, to capture. They can have their eyes set on it, but I, I just think that the premier league is way too strong. You're going to have a team like Brighton, knock them off of that. Somebody Arsenal, somebody's going to knock them off of that. It's just not going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. It, but, it's highly improbable, but I understand, I understand where you're coming from. And as soon as you said it, I was like, fuck <laughs> that actually, you're you're right, and I hate I hate that you said it. So let's let's mark the point and then go back. So maybe the- maybe this is like a reverse jinx, the just to, to say it out loud to to make it you know yeah. not happen. That's right. We're gonna unmanifest this. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the other team in Manchester, uh, the Manchester United, uh, with 
all sorts of uh, off-field problems um, with, uh, you know, Anthony uh, taking a leave of absence now for uh, three women that have come up with the domestic violence. Like, uh, they're, and then now they're also doing Jaden Sancho, uh, just smear campaigns. And yeah. uh, that team is a, an absolute dumpster fire. And uh, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything good to say about Manchester United. I would take, I would take Marcus, Marcus Rashford if we can get him. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think he's, yeah, he's probably the only positive thing in that whole team. Yeah. I mean, other than that, they can, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't even try to pay attention to that stuff, but yeah, that, that is just, that is just, I mean, that is, that is actually what happens if your owners don't take any interest in the running of the club. So there was a period there where Arsenal were almost, you know, were headed towards that. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, um, Thankfully, the owners have stepped up and have started taking a major interest in the club. Uh, whereas Manchester United have been trying to sell their 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 stake in that club. Those those two, the Glazers, have been trying to sell their interest in that club for for quite a while. They've made it known that they don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, and you talk about like some of like the deferred investment that they haven't done. Like supposedly, right? like Old Trafford has like absolutely deteriorated yeah. with that and like the amount of investment is going to require just to, to keep that you know into a, a decent shape is mm. they're already getting into like the several hundred million pounds range i mean are there any other you know middle eastern clubs are there any other middle eastern billionaires or trillionaires that can buy manchester united i think the last one the last deal fell through so i honestly i i wish them the worst mm-hmm they can finish bottom half of the table for all I care. And um, their fans are awful. They, it's an awful club. And uh, yeah, I, I have I have nothing but calumny for those folks. <laughs> yeah, I was so, so happy to beat them yeah. last, you know, the two weekends. Like, yes, I, yes. I, I, <laughs> I dominated I them. I should repeat that. Yeah, the three, the three one domination by Arsenal. I literally screamed at the television when we scored because because that uh, I don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> that, that, that uh, what to say it was a, a great win 3-1 right uh, on the score sheet it was a, a total uh d- you know demolition of them and i think it was absolutely deserved anthony taylor i just don't even <laughs> want to talk about it i can't i can't i can't scott no, no i'm sorry yeah, i don't want to i don't want to raise your, your blood pressure we don't we don't need to do that right now literally, um, yeah i literally feel my bread my blood pressure go up um, so we'll move on to another club that is absolutely uh, clean and not doing sport washing, Newcastle United. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking about this the other day, and I think Eddie Howe might, if if, if Eric Ten Hag isn't beat him there, uh, might be the the first of the the managers fired. I really worry about that guy um, and being able to do it. Um, do do you have positive thoughts of Eddie Howe? Um, like I, I know that he's a. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts I don't on him? Know what's going on? I don't know what's going on there. That it, it seems like it should be working, mm-hmm. but they, they just aren't. And you know, when you even when you look at like expected points or expected goals or any of the, any of the 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 metrics, I think they're just off. They're just not. They're just not as good as they should be. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so strange because he was so good last season. And I don't know what's going on with with them. Um, and to be honest, I haven't watched them this season, so I, I have a, a really hard time. But yeah, you know, I've heard all the other podcasts talk about about how he might get fired. It would be a shock to me, um, but 
but yeah, I mean, they got to have some kind of higher expectations after, you know, with, with their, with their, you know, uh, sovereign wealth fund owners, Mm -hmm. they've got to have higher expectations than the way that they're playing right now. So that that's going to be a weird one. Yeah. I think there's a a little bit of a, so I know the Liverpool match. So that's the one where they, they were up, uh, they were up a man in that one. And it, yeah. it kind of felt like that was a, a thing that hurt them more than helped them. Um, and I think that's yeah. something that teams are going to do more often. Um, where just watch that. let them I have the ball. That. Yeah, that's that's one of their only games I've watched this season. And I and once when they went up a man, I thought, oh wow, this is where they're going to really put the they're going to step on their neck. And and at first, for about ten minutes, they did. Mm-hmm. But then they dropped off, and I was like, "What are you doing, you lunatics? You're up a man!" And and then Liverpool came back into the game, and I was like, "Wow, this is just something's just something's just wrong at this team." And I can't I can't put my finger on it, Scott. I really don't understand why they, yeah they they were up, they were they were playing really well. They had they had a they had an opportunity to really make it a big lead and they just didn't capitalize. It was so weird. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking here. So that's a, they had a, a ton of final third possession, but they just could not get the ball into the box at all against them. And I think that that's going to be a reoccurring theme for them going forward. Um, you know, you think about like what their actual good performances have been this season. I think it's been the Aston Villa match. And I think that's uh, very much Unai Emery, yeah. really kind of like playing into like their strengths, which is kind of weird, but I don't know. We've also seen he Una does. Emery do weird things. Um, <laughs> and like, he just uh, basically let them do what they wanted to do, have space on the break and be able to do it. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that I think Newcastle this season is going to have to contend with is teams coming in with the expectation that this is a, a strong team and we're going to sit back and we're not going to let them have that space to exploit. And I think they're going to really struggle with trying to break them down or break teams down. Yeah. 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 Um, we can talk a little bit about Unai. I, I, I think this is the season that Villa fans are going to be bitterly disappointed with Unai Emery. He does Se- this second season. Easy, yeah, second season Unai Emery. Every, everywhere he goes, his away games are going to be the worst that they've ever watched in their lives. They're going to be shocked, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they never <laughs> watched him. Um, but that that's that's what he does. It's 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 a really weird um psychological thing that that he does with his teams. It's just uh, he's a good coach. He just he's just he just has this hang up about away games and it's just it's just going to destroy it. Their, their fans are going to be bitterly disappointed. I yeah. Think Cause I think they're about- coming in with huge expectations, I think as well too. Um, they are. Yeah. They are. I heard, I heard a lot of the podcasts, the like major podcasts talk about them finishing top four. I'm like, you nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't have the scars of watching Unai Emery, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, they should. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should talk a little bit about Tottenham though. Um, yeah. Let's talk about and, Spurs. And- yeah, they're 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 little they're little resurgence here, they're little renaissance. Um I know I know I know Postacoglu is a good coach. And mm-hmm. um I I, I really understand. wish he would gone to a different team because I really like the guy and I want to like root for him, but yeah, he just <laughs> Well, he went to Spurs. So yeah. 
it is what it is. And they are getting a little bit of what I would consider. You remember when, um, when Arsenal sold Thierry Henry and then we almost won the league the next season, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're getting a little bit of that bounce. So basically, or, and you know, you think about when we sold Van Persie, right? We ended up that next year scoring more goals without him. Yep. So there, there is a little bit of, I think some of that, uh, you relieve some of that burden and spread it yes. down a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, Harry Kane is Harry Kane and he's doing great at, at Bayern Munich. And I wish him the best of luck in the Bundesliga and that they lose every game in the champions league. But, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, um, they're they're basically they've got a bounce right now from having that weight lifted off of having one player who was the complete and utter focus of everything that they did. And so um, I think that they're in a really great phase. Um, they're overperforming by all their metrics, which yes. is fine. It happens. It happens. Sometimes teams do that for an entire season. Fantastic for them. Great for them. However, I wouldn't say that, I, I don't I don't see anything systemic in the way that they're playing that is that is actually sustainable for for the long run. Maybe it will be. I don't I don't know, but um, but I don't think anything's sustainable for what what they're trying to do there at Tottenham. And they don't really have the players who are at that level, who are at that second tier level, that top tier level. Mm-hmm. Um, other than um, Young Sun Min, uh, who I, I've, I, Sun is a fantastic player and I would take him again. I think he, he would fit in at any top team. Um, but other than him, I don't think that they, they really have all those players. I know James Madison's getting a lot of kudos right now, but you watch him play for England and I think you see a little bit of the cracks starting to, to appear, um, in his game. And, you know, there have been some talk about, would you take Odegaard or or Madison? And I think hands down you take Odegaard every time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Madison's, Madison's a good player. I'm not I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm just saying that I would take Odegaard every time, just in terms of ball control, dribbling, vision, everything about his especially his open play and, and his spatial awareness compared to Madison. It's just hands down superior. So I've got I've got a theory on Madison. So I think there's a certain kind of class of player that are very good, but they have a a ceiling to the type of team that they work well in. And I think James Madison is exactly like that kind of player where you kind of have to really tailor things to fit him and you have to, you know, give him the keys to the team. And I think that, you know, when he does that, he has the keys to the team. He looks really good, but there is a limiting factor to how high he can take a team. Um, I think, you know, at his very, very best, like maybe he could be, you know, the best guy on a team that finishes in the top four. But I don't think that he would be like the, you know, the guy that could drive you to a title. And I don't know if, right, I think this is kind of where you, you're talking about like his um, inside of England, when he has other better players around him, I don't think he matters matches that level. I think he kind of shrinks back from some of that where he doesn't have that. So I think there's a certain class of players that kind of fit in there. I think that's kind of where Madison is for me. I think that's, that's a fantastic observation, Scott. I think that's exactly it. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, he's basically, he's the big fish in a little pond. Yeah. And so it's like, it's because it goes against that. Like, Oh, he's shit. It's like, no, he's not shit, no, but not. he's got limiting factors to him. 
Yes, absolutely. I don't think he could honestly. Uh, if if I want to be very specific, he couldn't play in the Arsenal system because I don't think he could press well enough mm-hmm. and play the offensive role that that Arteta needs. So I think he could probably play the offensive role that Arteta needs, but I don't think he could press well enough. And so when Odegaard came up, and when it was, we were actually, I think, believe, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. We competed for both of those players. We were looking at buying both of them. Yeah, so it was uh, yeah, Madison, Buendia, uh, Odegaard, kind of like all yeah. three of those guys. And and honestly, I think we got the best one because again, I love Buendia. He's a great player. I, I I love watching him play, but I think there's just a little bit of his game that's missing that Odegaard has, and that comes down to just understanding when and how to press, which is people just don't understand how difficult it is to play defense mm-hmm. and how much and how much sort of like awareness and intelligence it takes to play defense and to play defense in the arsenal system requires like a, a next level and i think odegaard has that and i don't think that these i don't think that those other two players do and that's not a well, it is a criticism of them but it doesn't mean that they're shit yeah so, yeah they're good it's players all- who just don't have that ability that odegaard does so that's where i'm at yeah, so I'm looking here at you know the the Tottenham schedule and everything, and like it feels like well, one I think they've had a, a fairly soft schedule with two really easy matches in Bournemouth and Burnley. Um, the Burnley match obviously was very good for them. The Bournemouth match was I think just okay. Like I think that they were were good but not amazing um, in that match. Um, and then, you know, they had Manchester United where I think they were good for a half. I think that, you know, in that first half if Manchester United score any of the number of chances they could have done, yeah. like that game goes the complete opposite way. Yeah. Uh, and then Brentford is another one where I think they were lucky to kind of do that. I think Brentford yeah. has been sneaky good, um, this season. I, that's one of the teams that I've been most impressed with. Um, so yeah, I, I'm still not sold on Tottenham yet. Um, even though I, you know, I like uh, Postacoglu as a, a coach and what he's trying to instill there with his attacking play. Yeah, they basically against Man U had the exact same XG, which can be a little bit deceptive. Single game XG, we, you know, we don't have to we don't have to litigate that. We both understand how that works. Yes, but it does mean that Man U created a lot of really good chances, and I think Spurs were pretty lucky. I'm just looking at it right now. Um, I'm looking at the actual shot map and man, mm-hmm. you had five really good chances that they didn't score. Yeah. So, I know there was one for Bruno, one for Rashford that were really, like, really good. Big, big XGs, 40% and stuff. Yeah. So, so those are, those are goals that normally, especially man, uh, especially Rashford would probably take on a normal day, but, um, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't convert. And so it, you know, Tottenham got away yeah. with one. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot to say about Chelsea right now. I think there's still a, a weird work in progress. Um, but I do want to kind of hear your thoughts on Liverpool um, because I think this is one that I, I've heard all sorts of different opinions on them, ranging from they're the second best team to uh, no, they're not even going to finish top four. So I don't know. Do you have a, a a spot where you kind of put Liverpool in the rankings? Well, so Liverpool have been struggling because of the Salah thing. That's yeah. that's my that's my opinion. Okay. The first four games here is that the the thing that's been disrupting them quite a bit has been the Sala thing. Um, I also think Van Dyke might be just slightly have lost a step mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of his defending. He very clearly deserved a red card in that game. I don't know what he was complaining about. 
I mean, he just literally just kicked the guy. It is was a is an obvious red card foul I've ever seen in any football match. And um, so I think that they have a little bit of a problem. They also have the issue of um, Jurgen Klopp's sort of uh, whether or not Klopp can evolve his tactics because what happens with coaches is, of course, over the t- over time, people develop an understanding of how you want to play, and then they learn how to counteract that way that you want to play. So whether he can develop Liverpool into something of a different team um, remains to be seen. But that said, I mean, they have some of my, they have some really fantastic players on that team. I mean, exactly. I would have taken, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would have taken McAllister at Arsenal. I wanted McAllister over Kai Havertz. I'm just be honest about it. I wanted, I wanted McAllister in the, in the Shaka role. Yeah, no, no, I think McAllister, like when I watched back the that World Cup too, like he was by far yeah. like my favorite on that Argentina team. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, outside of Messi, right? I think everybody agrees like Messi's obviously the best player on that team. But I think after that, McAllister uh, absolutely opened my eyes to like yeah. just how good he was. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, you know, he's struggling a little bit. He's going to fit into their system. He'll figure it out. They've got, um, what do they got? Cody Gakpo. They've got... Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! They just have so many players. Um, Darwin, yeah, that, that front line, like just the the attacking talent that they can trot out there, is probably the best in the league. Like I think it's even better than what Manchester City has. Like Manchester City obviously have Holland, but I think you know player for player, once you get you know a little bit further down, Liverpool have more of it. So, so based on just the personnel that they have, they should be top four, absolutely absolutely battling for top four and if not securing a top four position, the issue then that is um, with coaches, we always ask the question whether they're, they're adding nothing to the team, adding something to the team or taking away from the team. And so with Klopp, I, I lean a little bit towards taking away from the team right now. Mm. And so, and so I, I kind of feel like I, he's and this is not saying he's a crap coach. He's a great coach. One of the best in the world. He's won the Champions League. He won the Bundesliga with with a team that probably shouldn't have ever won the Bundesliga. But he, fantastic coach. He plays some absolutely amazing football. Yeah, his, his Liverpool teams have been some of the yes. best in the Premier League ever, too. They ripped us apart. They ripped us apart multiple times. So I'm not saying he's a bad coach in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. What I'm saying is that people get used to the way that you play. They understand the way that you're trying to play. And unless he's able to evolve his game, which I haven't really seen so much this season, um, you can get you can get picked up. You, you can lose a few points here and there. And so challengers, title challengers, on paper they probably could be. But um, I just – I don't know. I just don't see it this season. Okay. I've got another theory that I want to run by you here. I've got lots of theories that I that I, I formulate <laughs> in my in my brain. Um so it feels like they're almost back to first season Klopp. Um so you kind of think back to like when he first came from the Bundesliga, he tried to like really implement the, you know, the heavy metal, um, you know, really kind of go for it and while it, you know, brought good results for them, it it had a little bit of the the Arsene Wenger in them that 
they could be susceptible to certain teams being able to play against them. Um, And then he developed into the, we have three kind of sitting midfielders. And then like, that is what stops us from getting counterattacked when we do the heavy press. So now they've moved away from that. And so it's really interesting to see how he's going to be able to counter teams that want to fast break against them. Because I think that is what brought them from a top four team to that next level of being able to go toe to toe against Manchester City was that we're going to play the three sitting midfielders and that's going to protect and shield the back line. And now that is gone and they're basically playing no sitting midfielders um, often. So it's like, yeah, that I think that's going to be kind of where they're almost back to that original square one where he's got uh, a new set of problems to solve. And right. It's a, we haven't seen him solve these problems with the, this setup again. Yeah. That's the, I think it's a really good point to point out that they're um, they lost uh, uh, Fernandinho. Yeah. Fabinho. Uh, Yeah. And then also um, Henderson uh, Henderson. And And then Tiago is uh, constantly broken. Yeah, I mean, Tiago was my one of my favorite players in the Bundesliga uh, four or five years ago, but he's just not the same guy he was when he was 28. So, and that just happens. Uh, Curtis Jones, great, great midfielder. Um, but these guys have a lot of work to do in order to sort of fill those roles that were played before. So who's going to swallow up all those possessions? You know, like we have Declan Rice now. If you're going to play high up the pitch, you need a guy like Deck who's going to win the ball back for you every single time. Uh, I I don't know if you played football. I played that was the I played defensive midfielder. That was my role, always trying to find ways to win the ball back for my team so we could keep it up high up the pitch. Deck does that so well. I don't know who does that for 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 Liverpool this season. Um, you know, or or break up break up a counterattack. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that 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 role does, and that's some. I mean, uh, just to just to be honest, Declan Rice makes me very. He makes me very horny. <laughs> I, I, I love Declan Rice. Uh, like the tackles that he makes, like those those counterattacking. Oh God, his counterattacking tackles are just so amazing. I've never seen anybody who's who was able to play like that. He's just uh, not since Patrick Vieira, which I know we don't want to make those kind of comparisons, but. Uh, yeah, just love Declan. I don't see anybody who's going to do that for, uh, Shabbos Lai is really good, really fantastic player. Um, but again, um, I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to break up play the way they did before. Um, take the, take those tactical fouls the way they did before and, um, and just win the ball back constantly just so that they can recycle high up the pitch. That's their game. They want to play high up the pitch. They want to press high up the pitch. And in order to do that, they have to have that midfielder that they don't have anymore. And so you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good spot to, to leave it. Um, we did get some some questions that I wanted to, to try to leave a, a few minutes for. Um, so the first one here is from the the Highbury librarian. Um, I said when we were talking previously, I said it's super American. Um, I, I tried to, to pick myself up and do that better this time. So the question here is, which three match stats best illustrate a team's tactical approach as opposed to team or player quality? Um, yeah, so this was a, a really interesting one. Yes, um, I know you, you kind of uh, pushed it towards me, but do you have any Ooh. thoughts? No, no, I'm, I'm going to push this off on you because... Um, okay. Because this is one of those things where um, 
so in my in the past, of course, obviously, I I, I started watching football in around 2000, um, and I, at the time, I was a basketball fan, so I was really into stats for basketball, mm-hmm. fantasy basketball, a bunch of different things. So I was really into stats, and so naturally gravitated towards stats in in football, and it really did help me to understand the game. But I've kind of changed the way that I watch the game now, so I'm not as um, as I'm not as stats heavy as I was before. Um, and, and so, um, I do understand the, the stats that he was talking about, PPDA, all those different things. Um, but at the same time, I don't know how much they actually help us to understand, but what I would like to hear is what you think about this, because you probably do have an opinion about it. Whereas I actually don't, I don't, <laughs> Other than other than a few little things like um, you know like long passes and those kinds of things, maybe I think of it in a more old school way than maybe you do. So I, I'd be curious to hear how you think about it. Yeah, so I was I'm thinking through this. So like this is so we're trying to not like uh, tie it in with quality, which I think is always hard to do because without quality, you know, you're not able to do certain things. But if I was looking at stats that like purely described like how a team played, I think I would use something like PPDA because you want to be able to like determine, right, is this a team that likes to press high um, or is it not? Um, I think the other one that I would kind of look at is that that ties in like pressing teams. So there's different ways or different reasons why teams press. So there's, you know, that that classic Liverpool, we're going to press high and then we're going to attack fast. Um, or then there's the more pep style uh, pressing where we're going to we're going to win the ball back, but we're not we're going to still set ourselves up. So we're going to play a more methodical, slower way. So I think my second one that I would look for is the the speed of attack that a player or that a team uses. So um, I know I track that on like um, the total like ball progression, um, mm. like per second in possession. So I think that's another interesting one. Um, I guess the other one that you could do is uh, passes per possession. So I think either one of those to try to get a sense of like how direct a team plays. Okay. Um, and then I think the the last one might be something along the lines of like maybe like a, a field tilt. Um, you know, where is the team playing? Are they a team that um, even if they press high, they are still more content to let the other team have the ball and then be able to, to you know play in certain halves or be able to do that. So I think those would be kind of the three that I would look for to try to describe how a team plays. Right. Um you know, one of the things I really love actually about modern stats is the uh, pass maps. Mm-hmm. I think that that actually helps me to really very clearly and quickly visualize how a team plays. So, and I know that those are stats based. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're not a stat you could go look up in order yeah. to tell how a team plays, but you could look at um, pass maps for each individual game and you could really see uh, what side we're passing to, which teams are playing more through the middle, which teams are playing more wide, which teams are playing longer. It's, it's uh, so for my money, I, I love, I love those, the visualizations that we do nowadays yes. that we didn't do in my day. Um, so those, those kind of pass maps are, I think those are really cool. And I think you, you make some really great pass maps. So yeah. I really dig, I really dig pass maps. That's, that's where I'm at in terms of, figuring out how a team plays and how we played against somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will I wish, echo that. That's one of the things that I, I love to look at post-match. I wish we had press pressing maps, but I know that um, since stats, since stats uh, 
about stats D. So FB ref, yeah, they they took yeah, the they switched. switched over to Opta. We don't have the damn pressing maps anymore. So it's really frustrating to me because those the pressing numbers were really that was something I really loved looking at. And absolutely, um, you, know, you were able to pull those things out. But uh, you know, I guess I'm just older and not as smart as you. So no, so you no, there it, it, it is lost. Um, I wish I had the those ones still. Um, and I don't. And it's uh, I, I think that is a thing that I I miss the most. That would be, I think, you know, a lot of people right now, we hear a lot about, well, Kai Havertz is doing this defensively. He's doing that defensively. And you and I can watch the games three or four times and go back and go, oh, yeah, he is doing those things. But, uh, but you know, if we just had the pressing maps, we would be able to see it right away. And I think that's such a huge loss. And uh, uh, if if any of the Opta folks are listening, please bring back the pressing we, we need that data. That is such a crucial part of the game nowadays. And to have that loss to just like, you know, the loss of time is just, ugh, it's just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I know Opta does have pressing data. So they, they have, yeah, the, the advanced uh, or the, the rich event data that they do where they combine it with their tracking stuff. So it would be so nice to be able to do that. But I think they have a, a different price on the rich data versus everything else. And it's a, a little bit of a bummer. Uh, it's, next it's question. Oh, rich price. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, the next question is from a friend of the pod, poorly drawn arsenal. Uh, one of my favorite, I'd love to, to see all of his uh, scribbles and stuff that he does. Um, actually, if you're in the New York area, I think he's also doing one in London, but he has a, a book that he did with uh, Dave Seeger. Um, yep. So yeah, go out and support that. Uh, great guy. Um, but he asks, if you had to replace one position with a household cat, which position would it be? <laughs> Great question. I, I love it. I love it. Um, I asked him. I, I asked him a clarifying question: if it could be a Maine Coon, which is those giant cats, uh, and he said yes, it could be. But I still don't think that a cat cat could. Uh, I mean, let's say. All right, let, let's put it this way: if you want something to come in and just be. Always going to land on his feet. <laughs> going to be able to jump super high, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of be sneaky mean. <laughs> then, then you're going to bring a cat on late in a game, and just have him just be like a, you know, like almost like a David Costa, uh, uh, just like just somebody who's going to just 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 be a little bit needly at the end of a game. Yeah. So uh, that's that's where I would go. But it actually made me think of who are most cat like player was or is and the player i came up with was uh andre arshavin because cats they sleep all the time (laughs) they're always at rest and then when they're ready to go they're going and that's how that's how arshavin was um and they're also always perplexed by human behavior (laughs) (laughs) a cat will look at you like what are what on earth are you doing human um, always do you'll, that. you'll try to give him direction and he'll, they'll just look at you like, what, what are you doing? Like, no, I'm just going to go out here and some score some goals, Arson. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I was thinking of, uh, you remember when Ibue scored a goal and he did his little dance and Arshavin creeps into the picture and he's just dumbstruck by Ibue <laughs> doing his dance. It's one of my favorite Andre Arshavin moments. And so I think if there was any other player, any player in the history of, me watching Arsenal, I would say it would be Andre Arshavin. He's our cat. Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a very good choice. So that's that's my answer to 
poorly drawn arsenal. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'll try to like pick a position. So I, I was thinking through this, and it's like, all right, so he can't be a defender, right? Because just doesn't no. the cat just doesn't have the size to be able to do it. It's like, so sorry, like so he's not gonna be a DM. He's not gonna be in the back line. And then I was kind of thinking, like, we're just gonna go four, four, fucking two, and we're gonna have like the, the classic big, small. So my cat is gonna be my second shadow striker, and he's yeah. just gonna try to get on the ends of things and just cause sorts of problems. It's probably not gonna work, but I'm sticking him as my my small in a big small 442 well nobody's going to be able to tackle a cat i'm just no, telling you that's, that's true yeah you just get him in that like that the pockets of space and just you know you know the only problem is like the ball is the same size of a cat just zig zag never be tackled <laughs> perfect there great, you go that's where, I'm, that's where i'm sticking him see that's what our Chauvin did he was our second striker right <laughs> that's he true was right yeah with yeah riddick's to uh, nicholas bettner and you know the big small <laughs> It's the perfect combination. It's it's stood the test of time. It's funny. All right. Uh, the next one here is from Athal. Um, so this is Athal Akbar 13. What is the set of data that is most critical and gives a true picture of when it comes to uh, a number six? And I know that I think you uh, would rather it be called the number four uh, role yes. in your point of view. Oh, um, Wow, I didn't see that question, but I can actually answer this off the top of my head because this is is one of the few things that I actually pay close attention to. Um, The first thing I look at is long ball passing. Mm -hmm. And I know that that can be a little bit deceptive because sometimes if you play on like a team like uh, West Ham, you might not hit a high percentage. But but if you are a – if you are able to make, you know, 80% or more of your long ball passes – so when I was quote unquote scouting players back about oh seven, eight years ago, I think Rodri like just blew me away with his long ball passing. And he was at uh Atletico, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was hitting like 88% of his long ball passing. Granite Shaka was another player who was able to do that, who I was very high on when he came to Arsenal. Um, so for me, technical. That's their, that shows a high level of technical ability when you're able to uh, complete a long, uh, a high, no, a high percentage of long ball passing. After that, you look for um, uh, tackling and ball recovery, of course. Mm-hmm. Tackling is a bit of a problematic stat because in an individual situation. So, for example, uh, Granite Shaka wasn't the greatest individual tackler. And actually, if you look at his evolution under Arteta, Arteta took away his, told him to stop, basically. You're just going to get red cards, dude. Just stop it. So um, he kind of stopped tackling. Um, So that's a bit of a problem. But when we had pressing data, that's where you really got a good sense of how well a player like a number six, number four was, was, uh, was actually covering space and pressing and forcing turnovers. Um, and then ball recoveries are also really good in terms of uh, in terms of showing kind of like the activity level of the player and how aware they are because ball recoveries are just kind of like, you know, that that actually shows a high level of uh, sort of almost intellectual play, like where you understand where the where to be in order to recover the ball. So yeah, like the anticipation, right? Anticipation. Yeah. So. I mean, those are the stats, but they are all problematic. So I don't want anybody to jump on me about them um, because obviously they, 
you know, individual stats are always sort of problematic. They can be driven quite a bit by the team, the team mm-hmm. the way set up. But those are the things that I look for. Um, and in tackling, I just wanted to go back to tackling just real quick. What you want to look for is somebody who who uh, is able to make a high percentage of tackles. Yeah. So not necessarily a gross number. Like you can see players um, – uh, um, what's his name? Um, geez, I'm, I'm slipping here. Uh, used to play for Arsenal. Uh, well, uh, Danielson, well, he made a lot of tackles. So did actually Cesc Fabregas in the 26, uh, 2016, 2017 season. Those guys made high numbers of tackles, um, but it was the percentages that were, that were slightly problematic. So if mm-hmm. you, if you look at a player who's um, especially in the one-on-one duels, so in the um, I think FB ref now breaks out uh, tackles versus dribbles. Yeah. Um, if you look at those, and if you see a player who's making a high percentage of those, and not just over one season, but over multiple seasons, you've got a guy who can really anticipate well, and uh, those are the kinds of things. So I kind of look for intellectual players in those positions. Um, those that's that's what I'm looking for. Somebody who has. Uh, um, good skill on the ball in order in, in terms of long ball passing and then sort of an intellectual ability to read the game really well. So those are the things that I look for for that position. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, yeah, I think I really do that too. Right. Cause I think the one thing, like I think you absolutely nailed it too. Cause so it's like what I'm thinking on like the defensive metrics, like is being dribbled past as a defensive midfielder is one of the worst things that you can have happen because you're usually like the last line before that they are running right at your center backs. So you really do not want to see that. So um, yeah, that's something that I absolutely look at dribble pass percentage and actually kind of the number of fouls. I, I kind of prefer my DM to not make a ton of fouls. Like a, a few fouls is fine um, because right. you know, you're going to need to pick up some of those like right when you're getting like a fast break, but I don't want a guy that's picking up, you know, a ton of fouls a game because that's yellow cards and then that's red cards and that's a big trouble. But yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head. Like you want a guy that, you know, does it all. You want a, an all around guy at the base of midfield. One more thing I was just going to point out um, is the, uh, the number of turnovers. So, and I don't mean that in terms of uh, I don't use turnovers the way they do now, modern day where they look at all the misplaced passes and everything. Yeah, I don't either. Passes are passes are a two man thing, you know. So I don't really look at passes as much as actually what I look for is un like unsuccessful touches and unforced turnovers. And what you want in a DM, and I'm going to say this, and this is going to drive all of the people who are listening to this crazy. But I look at somebody like Arteta when he played for Arsenal. His number of unsuccessful touches and un and 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 unforced turnovers were absolutely like in the single digits for an entire season. They were nuts. And that's the kind of, and I know he passed sideways a lot. And so that's why everybody's going to jump on me about it. But he was, he wasn't the kind of player who was ever going to be caught on the ball. And I know in modern football, we play a little bit more front foot. We want our DMs to attack a little bit more. So they're going to turn the ball over a little bit more. But if you can keep those numbers down, those things are also super important to me. It just shows an, an intelligent player who's not going to get himself into trouble and is going to pass out of it before he can before he can cause him. Because if you think about it, it's just like it's just like you said with uh with tackling on a dribble. Mm-hmm. If you turn it all over right in front of Gabrielle, you've got a problem. <laughs> not because Gabrielle's bad, but because now you've got an attacking player 
who's running full speed at Gabriel. And so you don't want your DM turning the ball over there in those positions. So that's, I did, I did go look it up here. So 13, 14 to me, like, I think that was like his quintessential like DM season. And so he had 13 unsuccessful touches in 31 matches, which is just crazy. And then 12 times he lost the ball, um, like being dispossessed by a tackle. So 25, 25 total uh, and he possession led, losses. And he led the league. He led the league in passes that season, I think. Yeah. If yeah, I remember. No, like that is a ridiculous uh, levels of technical security. Yeah. And that's, you know, hopefully what he teaches uh, Declan Rice to do. <laughs> I, I would be incredibly happy to see something like that. Um, we will end on a little bit of a silly note. And this was another really good question. So this is from Kyle K. So this is uh, Call Me uh, Kinslow. Can you, you can only pick one sauce for your McNuggets. What <laughs> sauce are you picking? Oh, well, now, okay. So, we, if we're going historical, I'm going Szechuan sauce. Okay. Of course. But, I mean, if we're going just today, I'm going uh, barbecue sauce, probably. Okay, see, I think I lean honey mustard. I like oh, the, the, the sweet kind of, you know, the tangy honey mustard. I think that's still the, the one that I can't uh, live without. That's a good one. I like it. Yeah, but all the good sauces. 2018 Szechuan sauce, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, like the, the Asian-inspired stuff really gets me going, too. Because I think, you know, it has a similar kind of thing, right? The touch of the sweet, a little bit of the spice. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great combination. For sure. All right, Tim, this has been awesome. Thank you for, for yeah, joining. Um, I, I'm If you're still down for it, I think we should uh, continue to make this a, a monthly thing. It's always good to check Let's- in and talk. Let's let's uh, try to do around game ten or so. So that yeah. would be. A good, I really like ten games as a good like group of uh, games to look at the metrics at that point. Absolutely, I think let's plan on doing that. All right, cool. All Thanks, right, Scott. have a, a good rest of your evening. Um, hope you guys really enjoyed listening, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye bye.